welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, My buddy SG was already talking but that's cool that's what he does he talks over me I mean, <laughs> must be that that freaking a type the alpha type yeah you're just used to pure domination aren't you i think if you had better things to say i just wouldn't talk over you as much <laughs> so true i guess i know where this is going right now <laughs> it'll be a fun hour yeah this is um this is a podcast that we should have done in person, but you had cold feet. I mean, I get it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up uh, doing a follow-up, which is probably going to be better because you had a little bit of time to apply some of the stuff we worked on. But um, for all you listening, uh, SG is an abbreviation for um, my buddy that is – I, I guess you introduce yourself, how you're comfortable with it, and yeah, you know, to to some point, confidentiality is is still, uh, you know, something that that you prefer, and so I'm respecting that too. So uh, you can lead in, you can talk about yourself, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John. Thanks for the uh, you know the opportunity to be on here. I think it'll be a good time, and looking forward to it. So. Uh, about myself, grew up in a, in a little town in Texas, uh, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary as far as early lifestyle type stuff. And then post-college, uh, went into the Navy, specifically in the Navy Special Warfare, spent 13 years there, best 13 years of my life. And then just uh, recently, this August, transferred out of service and back into the uh, into the civilian world. So, during that 13-year period, it's a great community, best community on the planet, but obviously don't have a lot of time for extracurricular activities. <laughs> One of those things that I enjoy a lot is hunting and uh, always wanted to get into archery, but just never really had the opportunity growing up. And I think growing up, and you know, you, you and I are at least similar age. I'm a little bit younger and better looking than you are, but we're pretty <laughs> close in age in the sense of if you didn't have someone teach you archery, it wasn't an easy thing to get into. So I never really had that opportunity because none of my buddies or none of my parents, friends or anything like that were uh, bow hunters. So post college or post teams, a couple of guys that were friends of mine in the teams were bow hunters. So I picked up a bow and, you know, instantly they pointed me to you as a resource, your online knock on TV as a uh, resource. And that was basically how I started getting into uh, the bow, the archery slash bow hunting realm. And then through a mutual friend, you and I connected and you've been uh, a great friend and just an awesome resource for me to, to glob onto and, and pick your brain and learn. And, you know, took that next level uh, this couple weeks ago when I was able to come out there and actually build a bow with you and then get some live instruction, which was really, really eye opening. Who introduced us? I forgot. Was it Jack? It was old uh, Jack. <laughs> of course. Yep. Jack and his Rolodex. Yeah. yeah. I bet he has one, dude. <laughs> I'll guarantee you he the, has a Rolodex. The old school one that you like. Yeah, yeah, the actual Rolodex. Heck Rolodex. yeah. Yeah, I can picture him like with a with a walnut pipe in that Rolodex <laughs> taking some like glamour shots. Like rolling in a room that... with many leather bound books. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. So help me, you know there's one out there somewhere where he's just scanning that Rolodex of all of his contacts and and higher-up, elite-level people that he knows in the world. Yeah, I'm actually heading uh, his direction for a little ski vacation with oh. the missus here in a couple of weeks. So if he doesn't have it, uh, if we link up and he doesn't have it, I will buy him a Rolodex. When are you guys going to be out there? We're going to be up there the 18th through the 22nd. Dang. Are you heading up there? I might now. I might go up with Chaz. Come on up. It'd be fun to hang out with you guys, shred some slopes oh, for a few days. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much shredding I'll be doing because I haven't skied since I was 15, but I'm not afraid to just you know 
point the skis downhill and let it rip. I used to ski a lot, and I I worked at a I actually worked at a ski hill flipping burgers so I could get a ski pass. And yeah. and I loved and it wasn't really a ski mountain. It was like more of like a hill. And yeah, you know, it had one lift. You could be to the top in like maybe three or four minutes. And I worked there flipping burgers so I could get a ski pass. And I would just shred this two hundred yard strip of moguls like every single day that there was some type of snow or man made ice on the mountain. And that sounds like a great setup for an, an 80s movie. <laughs> Dude, it was. And the the reason why I'm kind of painting this picture for you is about, I don't know, it wasn't that long ago. It was like five years ago. Uh, some of my buddies at Hoyt said, you know, they knew where I was coming out. And they said, hey, do you want to go skiing? You know, we're going to go up and ski Brighton. And I said, oh, man, I haven't skied Brighton since like, you know, high school because I, I had and I hadn't skied I hadn't skied at all since high school so dude yeah. I rolled up to the freaking Brighton this is about five years ago I got out of my you know my car and unzipped my ski bag and busted out my 207s uh, <laughs> skis <laughs> that were about a third of the width of everything that was on the mountain nowadays. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, and and freaking, you know, strapped up my Reikley boots and my degree seven French ski suit. You know, with all the cool oh, flow colors, yeah. and yeah. people were looking at me like I had just came out of hot tub time machine, dude. They were like, and some people were like, it, "Rad skis!" Like I, it was. So old, yeah, it was I, back. Like, I was about to say they were probably looking at you with a sense of jealousy. <laughs> I, well, I felt that when you first saw me at the airport, and I snuggled you into my pecs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most awkward, uh, you know, bro hug of all time. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's just... You're six foot five, so my face is right at your your peck level. So it was a lot like you know giving your dad a hug. <laughs> I just embraced you. Good, yeah, to, good to meet was, you, bro. Uh, just how does this not, feel right not in here? Awkward at all. <laughs> no, no one driving by thought that anything uh, other than two friends greeting is what was going on for sure. <laughs> yeah. So what uh, what did you really pick up? from uh our our time together and we're i guess just to paint a picture for the listeners yeah. out there you know where would you put yourself when it comes to to archery or bow hunting or let's just say archery and shooting a bow like fr from a scale from one to ten where do you, where do you feel like you were where did you feel like you were when you came versus where you know you were now that you have came like yeah where do you feel like you would put yourself i would say i was probably as far as repeated accuracy and being able to hit um exactly what i'm aiming at i was probably around a six because i would have good days and i would have bad days and my good days were like everything was hitting you know really tight shot groups and I'm kind of limited, at least in my backyard, to about 20 yards. And then uh, at my current work, we have a, a pretty big factory, so I can get out to 100 yards, which I haven't attempted yet, but I'll you know, routinely shoot like 30, 35, 40 yards. And when I was hitting, I was hitting good. And when I was missing, it was uh, still tight shot groups, but it was always you know, down and right, down and left. And I could semi-diagnose or at least play around with some of the things that I, that I witnessed and learned in the knock-on videos about how to self-correct some of those problems. And, you know, maybe eight times out of ten, I'd be able to get it back into the, into the ring. But very inconsistent. And, you know, even the, you know, the first bow hunt that I went on, you know, when I was trying to sight in on the target bag, I even gave you a call. I was like, John, I am consistently hitting down and right, down and right. And I cannot figure out what I'm doing wrong. And over the phone, you just said, Hey man, I think you're doing this. And I went back and corrected. 
And sure enough, that's exactly what I was doing. So I would say probably a six. Uh, post coming out there, I would say at least an eight because my shock groups have really, really tightened up. Um, I'll still have mornings where my, my first couple shots will be down. I'm not so much left or right anymore. I might just be, you know, an inch or two low, but then I can correct that problem with some of the tips that you gave me and really going through the shot sequence. So I would say a humble eight, a true nine. What do you, when you're hitting low, what do you find that that is? Like when you say you hit low off the bat and then, and then you kind of get it figured out. Is it mainly your front sight, rear sight acquisition, or what do you think you're doing? I think I'm pretty good on front sight, rear sight, because you dialed, you, you made a good point about saying, hey, man, if, if that's not you know dialed in, you're going to either hit high or low every time. I think it's hand forward, front hand pressure. Oh, okay. So I think, I think I'm too uh, aggressive on the top part of the hand, so it kind of forces yeah. the, the bow down upon release. Kind and of a, a high risk. I'll be a high risk, yep. I'll be cold, uh, you know, a cold start in the morning. I won't do any warm-ups, which is... You know, shoulder, shoulder, wrist, anything, I'll just jump right to it. And once my wrist kind of loosens up a little bit, or if I do some, you know, whatever, wrist uh, curls, whatever you want to call it, to warm the wrist up and get them a little loose, then I don't really have that problem. But if I just go cold bore right off the bat and I'm hitting low, it's usually nine times out of ten, it's because my I have uh, incorrect pressure front hand. Okay. Now your first bow that you got, how how was it like a, a year or so before you came out here? Two years? I'm yeah, th- it was about a year and a half before I came out there. Uh, so yeah, it was last last October I think I picked it up. Uh, sorry, previous October, so 2019. And we're, so your first instruction was it all like just based on like watching because you had a really good foundation when you got here. Yeah, I Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean it was the vast majority of it was watching uh knock on and then I think I was telling you about Bruce who runs the the local bow shop that I go to over at uh Bow and Arrow Shop in Lakeside. Yep. He really has become a, a buddy and he and his whole staff like when you go in there to to purchase a bow or to get your bow tuned up or whatever they spend uh, as much time as you want getting you dialed in. So he was very helpful as well with my form because there's a big difference between as valuable as the knock-on uh, the, the knock series is. It's kind of hard when you're not viewing yourself doing those things. So like I would try to set up a camera and look at my shot sequence and stuff and do some, some diagnosing, but it's not the same as having someone who knows what they're doing and what they're talking about watching you do it and then say, Hey, you know, a little more of this, a little less of this, do this over that. So he helped me a lot with, uh, uh, the fundamentals of, I think I'm doing it right. Let me pop in front of him and see what it looks like. And then he, he makes some micro tweaks and that definitely helped. But the vast majority was the, the knock on series and then just, you know, getting reps in the backyard. And then if I was having an issue, I would always, the first thing I would do is I would always go back to the knock-on series of if I thought I was shooting low because of forward hand pressure, I'd go and watch the episode about uh, front hand position. If I thought it was my follow-through, if I was having a really hard time uh, getting the silver back to, to break where it normally broke, and, you know, I'd try to diagnose my form by watching the episode about your follow-through. So those were hugely hugely beneficial for me now did you do most of your practicing always close like you didn't really have the option to go out very far at first did you i didn't i did not i don't think uh i actually took a shot over 20 yards until san diego has a a walking course at a park called balboa that's a really good kind of 3d walking course so i took the kids out there with their bows and we did that, and that was an eye-opener because that was my first time to get to, you know, go really past 20, maybe 25 yards if I'm really pushing it in the backyard. And um, targets that are up to, I think, 110, different elevations, different slopes. So it's a good resource, but it's not something that I can get out to every day. And then during COVID lockdown out here in California, I'm not even sure the last time it's been open. 
Yeah, it's funny how your first time on a 3D range just checks your oil. Because... Man, it really does. And I, I got super cocky because the first, uh, the first shot they have a series of targets for people who haven't been there because you've probably been there before, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first series when you walk in and it's kind of like, hey, here's your 20, 30, and 40 yard shots to get make sure you're dialed in, and then go do the walking course. I mean, I pinhole the 40 yard shot twice, so I was like, oh man, I got this. Like, this is my <laughs> day. Like, I'm gonna. Watch this, boys. Your dad's the man, and then just proceeded to fall to pieces on the on the on the range itself. I love that. Honestly, yeah. I would not even be talking to you right now if that wouldn't have happened to me. Like my very first 3D course, you know, I was a bow hunter, and you know, shooting paper plates was my freaking game. And then, you know, I showed up to this first course with 3D animals. You know, and just thought, oh, this is all these targets look way cooler than a bale of hay. And yeah. you know, step back, suckers. Watch, watch what's getting ready to happen <laughs> as I'm freaking shanking arrows off rebar and freaking, you know, trying to find my shit in the leaves while everyone else is like, hey, can we go to the next target? You know, yeah. it was it was so humbling. And honestly, if that wouldn't have happened. Um, I don't think I would have ever, if I wouldn't have got defeated that badly, I don't know if I really would have clung to it because it got so personal to me really fast. Yeah. And that's really and that, what that made me come back is it was like, I freaking suck at this. And that, that's a powerful motivator for, uh, the right type of people not being good at something. <laughs> for me, it was a hundred percent of. I may never do this again, but I'll for surely come back and at least redeem myself mentally to where I'm not going to wake up having a nightmare about that one time when I suck so bad at something that, you know, I'm still embarrassed about it 20 years later. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, that's a solid mindset. And the thing about the, the bow, the sport of archery, or at least, for me as well is I can't end on a bad shot. You know, I can yeah. have 30 good shots. And if my last shot is a bad shot, like it's a mental tick for me to try to put that thing away on a shot that I'm not happy with. Where, where do you like kind of put that type of mentality? And then honestly, I feel like a big part of why, why you have a good foundation is that you had to start close. You didn't really have the option to go, far immediately which i think is a terrible it's a terrible thing that's readily available for any new bow hunter is they're just like i'm going how quick can i go to 100 yards you know and a lot of my you know when i do my custom builds like your bow you know you shot close you shot close and then i kind of grabbed your bow and went and you know once i shot it at 20 and shot it at 80 and got the right scale on there it's just like okay dude this thing is now a tack driver like at wherever you no put excuses. that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> your bow is terrible man <laughs> yeah but like do you feel like from your old um from your previous job do you feel like those types of repetitions in close range and just having a considerable high number of reps that are, you know, that are more or less just repetitive drills more so than, than infield application. Like how relevant do you think that is? Oh, absolutely relevant. A hundred percent relevant. So when we would go to uh, our assault specific block where you do the majority of your combat shooting, it doesn't matter if it was your first platoon or your 10th platoon day one, everybody goes to the five yard line and you start at the five yard line with your pistol. And it's just mechanics, mechanics, mechanics for half a day, a full day. And then once you are dialed back in on your mechanics, then you can start the more dynamic drills of moving back, uh, forward to back, left to right, shooting from barricades, that type of stuff. But we always drill in the first day or multiple days of just a five yard line. Everybody go up there and get some rounds off and go through your fundamentals. And I think that discipline 
is huge if what you're trying to achieve is a certain skill level with anything. Because if, when you talk about the far off shots, to me, that's kind of like chasing the shiny object, right? Like you, you'll get there if your mechanics are solid. But if your mechanics aren't, aren't solid, it's never going to happen. And what's going to happen is it's going to lead to a lot of frustration. And you're probably just going to walk away from it disappointed. It's those up close reps where you're not as necessarily concerned about what's happening at the target you're concerned about what's happening behind the target and the target will tell you what's happening behind the target but your focus isn't necessarily right off the bat is every one of my shots whether that's pistol rifle or bow in the in the 12 ring it's hey if it's not in the 12 ring let me diagnose from here and make a correction and then get my my form down properly before i try to move on and if you try to move on before that's done it's just going to be a frustrating experience and you're never going to progress past a base level of skill. Who is like coaching you guys at that stuff? Uh, like if you guys, if you guys, world. yeah, I mean, are, do you have instructors that are there just to watch you even at five yards when you guys are doing, we those? do. Yeah. And we, uh, it's kind of a blend of some active duty soft guys. And then you'll have, some, you know, world-class, never been an operator, but they're the best pistol shooters on the planet. You know, they might shoot for the SIG team or this team or that team, and they'll come out for our, our combat shooting instruction and help everybody dial the form in because even though uh, maybe not an operator background, their skills with the pistol and the rifle are, are second to none. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. How, how often do you guys really find yourself just – getting to the point where you're backsliding i mean are there times where you would go but there and realize like oh damn i'm not where i should oh, be yeah for sure it's a perishable skill it's like yeah i hate that anything else that involves a a lot of moving pieces is a very perishable skill so at the end of that four week assault block i mean your skill level has again it doesn't matter if it's your first time or your 10th time your skill level has probably doubled and your speed is probably doubled because you'll run a standard set of drills when you first get there and then you'll run that standard set of drills throughout the course and then a final test on the end on the last day and so you can see your progression right and guys times will legitimately get cut in half but the second that you walk away from that and you move on to the next block of training and the majority of our blocks of training involve some type of shooting but none of it is as intense or as precision focused as our assault block. So the second you walk away from that, your skills are starting to atrophy. And unless you spend that dedicated range time every day, there's just no way to keep that baseline where it is because it's all just fine motor movements and it's things that you have to practice and have to practice. So typically before guys will deploy, they'll head back out for a refresher just to make sure that uh, you know their skills are back dialed in. So every time you take that co that course of instruction, you know, let's say your skills will, as a new guy, if you're a horrible shot, right? Maybe you go from a one to a five, and then during the rest of the workup, maybe you regress back to a three, and then your next platoon, maybe you go from a three to a seven, yeah, and you regress back to like a five, and then your next platoon, maybe you're you know that that five to an eight. So you're always building on your skill, but it doesn't really matter how good you get. If you're not doing it day in and day out, there's just no way to keep that same level of proficiency. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, too, because if I look at myself, I know that I'm kind of to the point now or even at my age, if I don't shoot for a long period of time, I mean, I'll definitely regress. And let's just say like on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, I'll backslide, you know, two numbers but it's like if i'm super polished right now i can't i'm not like where i was when i shot you know in the early 2000s through the mid 2000s it was you know i don't know if i was just i was way more dedicated so it's hard to say but i know that like if i took a month and polished myself right now i wouldn't beat myself back when i was you know in my mid 20s and 30s just because I know like what that accuracy was like, but I also know that yeah. back then, when I took time off, I slid back f 
further than what I do now. Like right now, I'd say wow. if I really polished myself and really honed and polished, I would probably be, you know, an eight and a half or nine out of 10. But I feel like if I slide, I might slide back like one, you know, I might slide back to yeah. a seven and a half or an eight. And I can be at that seven and a half or eight with no practice. You know, endurance would be a yeah. factor if I had to shoot. You know, if someone said, okay, I haven't shot in a month, but, you know, come shoot attack for the whole weekend. By the end of the day, I'd probably be making some turd shots if I wasn't in like, you know, if I didn't have the stamina to shoot. But the quality of shots out of the gate, I think would be fairly solid. So I think archery is one of those few things to where even though you get older, some archers get much better or their, I should say their consistency window gets, you know, their goods and their bads gets a lot tighter together and they kind of slide more towards, you know, that more towards the better side of the scale. And if they take time off, they don't regress as bad. But at the beginning, I feel like, I feel like I had the potential to be way better, but I also, because I hadn't refined those motor skills over decades, I could also, like you said, perishable is a good term for it. Cause I feel like people that people that are somewhat new into archery, like for example, you would be a perfect example. You know, you had really good instruction and when you left, I was super happy with where you were. If you yeah. didn't shoot up until two weeks before elk season, the likelihood of you picking up even close to where you left off would be, I just, I don't think you had had enough repetition to where there would be like long-term subconscious, you know, thought processing and long-term muscle memory to that are like refined skills that are still like down there in the CPU somewhere. You know, I oh, think you absolutely. would have to like fully, fully re-engage on like, oh man, you know, where do I start with this thing? Yeah, absolutely. And then I would like to go back and amend my previous station. If, if the, the SG and, and Dudley scales are obviously not on the, uh, the same level, because if you're saying you're an eight or nine, then that, that probably puts me as like a, a five. So I'll go back and amend my earlier <laughs> statement of, uh, of an eight or nine. So there's obviously some disparity in our scales there. Yeah. And I don't, did I shoot much with you? I don't even remember oh, yeah. if I shot. Did I mean, I sh- you shot, you shot my bow. Every time I would shoot, you would just show me how much better you were than me. <laughs> yeah. And, and what a real person looks like in an extra large, <laughs> by the way. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> that shirt still fits. Fantastic. Well, yeah. If you dry it on high for two days, I bet it, I bet you can fit in that XL. <laughs> Look, man, some of us don't like to wear our shirts skin tight. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's me. I like mine loose, I guess. Oh, please, dude. I've seen your, your Instagram videos, bro. It looks like it's painted on. <laughs> Whatever. Um, hey, so what type of things from your coaching session, what type of things that I talked about or that I did talk about had like similarities or parallels to types of training that you guys would do. Um, because at times I kind of start to overlook some of that stuff. And it, sometimes it's hard for me to like go back to, you know, a certain topic of this would actually help someone that's listening to the podcast, trying to learn something, Yeah, you know, were there certain things that stuck out to where in your mind, you thought if I was going to teach some guys back home some archery stuff or try to help them, these are these are a couple points that that made a big difference for me. Do you remember what those would be? Yeah, for sure. I think the two biggest ones were, and this really got me my mindset switched on uh, on the archery piece. And I probably shouldn't have been that much of a surprise because there's a corollary there with combat shooting as well, or even if you're not combat shooting, just pistol and rifle application. And it's don't pay so much attention to what is going on at the target, pay more attention to what is going on behind the target. Because if those things are all 
uh, in line, then what happens at the target is going to be what you want to have happen. So, you know, stop looking at the, the 12 ring and start focusing on, hey, is my peep sight and my side alignment good? Is my touch point where it needs to be? Do I have pressure in the right area? Am I following through correctly? And then if you are doing those things, the likelihood of your arrow going where you want it is going to be a lot more than if you're just staring at your pin and the target and just willing that pin to hold as steady as possible while you follow through with your shot sequence. And it's the same thing with whether it's a, a pistol or a rifle, right? So the, the target is there. And yes, you have to have obviously awareness of what's going on in front of you, especially in a, in a combat situation. But if you've got your mechanics from behind the target are good and in alignment, then you're going to be pleased with what happens at the target. So for a pistol or rifle, it's, is my front side and my back side are they properly aligned? Is my uh, forward hand pressure, my dominant hand pressure, and my trigger hand pressure and trigger finger pressure, is that all the way that it should be? And if it is, and if I'm following through properly on my shot, then I'm going to be happy with, with what goes on downrange. If those things are out of skew, then the odds are that I'm not going to be as pleased. Uh, and that gets into the second point, which is the shot sequence. And that was the second thing that you really, really helped me improve on and really started me thinking a different way about how to shoot. Because you were you know, dialing me in about, hey, okay, now you know, get your thumb off the safety faster. All right, now follow through with your shot. Don't, don't spend you know, 20 seconds looking for that perfect shot. You know, your, your shot sequence should look and feel the exact same every single time and it should be going off somewhere between i think you said uh you know like seven and nine or seven and ten seconds if you're doing everything right which makes perfect sense right it's a it's a you know four pound bow that you're holding up and then you're applying back pressure to it and as jacked as you and i both are and that's clearly <laughs> obvious you know that's going to start and take a toll on you before too long so the longer that you're holding that out there and trying to be accurate, the less you're actually going to be accurate. So the shot sequence and making sure that everything is the same. Every time you do it, everything's the same. You know, you changed my draw sequence up from, I was coming low kind of beneath the chin, right above the chest line, and then coming yeah. up with it. And you, you walked me through how that activates different muscles that aren't necessarily beneficial when you're trying to do the rest of your shot sequence. So do everything in line. So those touch points, and when we're teaching students or, you know, teaching uh, combat shooting, it's all touch points because you're going to be, if it's real life situation, it's going to be uh, not an optimal condition, shall we say. There's going to be a certain layer, uh, layer of stress there. So your touch points, your mechanics are what allows you to do things when your fine motor skills diminish and your rough motor skills take over. So those touch points are in play on, on the rifle and pistol and combat shooting side of the house as well. And they're in play tremendously on archery. And if any one of those touch points are off, like you can count on the shot not being what you want it to be. Yeah, there's there's actually a few things that I had forgot about us working on that now that you're talking about some of that, it kind of reminds me. One, the draw efficiency was something that I think people listening should definitely hear a little bit more about. So one of the things that Sean did, and um, I asked him specifically why he was doing that, and I asked him, you know, it, the reason you're drawing that way, is it because you watch someone else pull their bow back? And he just said, yeah, you know, I've learned from, from observation. But you would draw the bow, like when you'd raise the bow up, you'd kind of draw the bow level with your chest. You know, you'd kind of pull your yep. your – your release hand back like more in line with your chest kind of like you're doing a cable row instead of yeah. having your hand more level with where you would actually be anchoring on your face and and when you drew low like that you're pulling a lot with bicep and lower lat and so then you would bring your release hand up all the way to your face and you still have all this tension loaded on your lat and your bicep and you use a lot more deltoid in your shoulder raising it up to that upper position and you would really have to spend I shouldn't say you would spend time you would waste time 
mm-hmm. finding your anchor position from c- approaching it from so low, you know, to where you would have to come all the way up to that position with the full load of that bow at full draw on, you know, on your back. So I talked with you about, you know, listen, when you draw this back and that bow stops, the faster you can come to a smooth anchor position, the better, you know, draw efficiency. There's efficiency in raising that bow and having your front shoulder in the correct position to where as you're drawing the bow and that bow stops, your shoulder is in position, not you having to reposition your shoulder blade once you're at full draw. But also as soon as that bow stops, just coming over to that anchor and bring that anchor to the side of your face instead of bringing it under your face and then bringing your face down onto it. Because one of the things that you talked about as well that is obvious, it's obviously something that you had a tremendous amount of training in. Like when you talk about things that you learn or things that affect your groups, you refer to your hand position and your grip position and your you know finger position or wrist position. You refer to that probably more than anyone I've ever had on the podcast. And, uh, and I know it's because of how much pistol work you've done. Um, so you're probably very, you're probably very in tune with like, oh, if I miss with a pistol, it's because, you know, I was pushing down with the heel or I was, you know, my thumb was pushing yeah. too far forward or, you know, I have too much front index finger pushing over. Like, cause you showed me how you grip, like you grip your pistol a little bit different. Um, and you kind of showed me, you know, you showed me how, how to, how you like have learned to grip your pistol. And so you have a lot of conscious thought, like, I guess, thought processing on how are my hands, you know, which is good because I teach people your shot begins and ends in your hands. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the quality of your shot a hundred percent begins and ends there, but in saying that one of the things that has as much or more effect on accuracy than what your hand position or hand pressure is. Cause like with a pistol, obviously, especially with a shorter barrel, you know, any variation that you have in, in, you know, palm, finger, thumb, right. Any of that, you're yep. turning this, this short barrel and, it's going to affect accuracy. But one of the things that you haven't really talked about is like facial pressure and facial pressure actually has like more of an impact than what your hand pressure is that you're talking about. Um, And so like how you approach that anchor position when the bow stops and not putting, not putting facial pressure on top of that arrow or on top of that string which is what you do or anyone does when they draw really low and then come up underneath that tissue that's on the side of your face. You kind of load that on top of the string or on top of the arrow shaft. And it has, it has a negative effect on accuracy. And we really talked about not only draw efficiency in like where your rear hand should be, as you draw back, like level with where you're going to just immediately come to your anchor position. But Mm -hmm. I just talked to you about like time in the pocket, not only, not only once you draw back and come to your anchor position and like letting off, you know, finding that target a little sooner, letting off your, um, your safety a little bit easier and sooner, you know, not like being, hypercritical of having every single thing perfectly aligned and be perfectly still on the target and perfectly level before you let off the safety. I kind of said like, get it close, but don't be hypercritical. But the other thing I talked to you about was just efficiency of you and that weapon and how you're presented to the target and keeping, remember I told you like, pretend you're in a hallway that's, only two feet wide and like and you literally have a two foot hallway that goes all the way to that target i want you to learn 
to take your arrow out of the out of your quiver or out of your pocket. I want you to learn to load it, moving it straight forward to the target, knocking it. I want your bow always vertical against your front leg, but forward of the body. Because just like what you were talking about earlier when you guys um, would go and run your, you know, your drills, I'm sure so much of people's time was... Um, so much of their time was cut out just from them being more efficient for like how quick that that weapon was going to target presentation and then when it returns back or when you had to reload your efficiency and where your body was moving and you know staying like I always say you know pretend you're like this pendulum that only moves from nine o'clock which is what I refer to when I'm pointing right towards the target and it swings down to six o'clock that's between your feet. And you know, it's going from six up to nine from nine down to six. And I said, that's the only flow I want you to have. I want you to, you know, if you're at the target and you make a shot, you bring your bow back down, you look down at your feet, your bows facing the target. You load your arrow straight towards the target, load it, hook your release on, raise your bow back up to nine o'clock, draw back, you know, front shoulder's good, anchor, pee, pull through the shot, finish, bow goes back down to six o'clock, you're loading an arrow, you're checking your feet, you know, then grip, and everything was just this pendulum flow from six to nine, from nine to six, and you weren't like, I wasn't allowing you to tip your bow upside down or have your bow yep. off to the side or like load your arrow, you know, straight up to the sky onto your string and then then roll it over to the arrow rest. I'd really talked with you about efficiency of, you know, just be within here and and your shot sequence just went from 20 seconds down to like 14 and then down probably even, you know, 8 you know, we, we shaped, we yeah. took at least, you know, a top, like it was one and a half times longer. I would think when you first, yeah, came. absolutely. When we were shooting at the, the 80 yard, I think it was the elk target in your backyard. You were timing me and trying to, you know, not force me, but just keep me mindful of, Hey, you know, even though it's a longer shot, it doesn't change anything to do with your mechanics or your shot timing. Still go through your thing. And I think we were coming in around, eight or nine seconds. And those were probably, at least from my standpoint of, uh, you know, not being a professional archer, it felt like some of my best shots, even though it was at distance. Cause I wasn't concerned about the distance. I was concerned about what was going on behind the bow and then not rushing to meet that shot time, but going through the mechanics the same way every single time where, uh, you know, going back to the, do I pull across my chest or do I pull straight in line with the bow? When you pull straight in line with where you're going to anchor, it just flows more smoothly. When you're pulling across your chest and then coming up, I mean, I would be willing to bet if you watch me nine times out of ten pull across my chest and come up, my anchor point's probably not the same thing because I'm not properly transferring that where it needs to be. Whereas if you pull in line, then your joint kind of takes over at a certain point, right? Like your shoulder naturally, if your draw length is set appropriately, your your shoulder joint is going to fall into position where it's not going to go back any further, even if you wanted it to, because it's a joint. And from there, boom, there's your touch point. Just bring it towards your face. And then you, you worked a lot with me on not turning my head towards the bow, but bringing the bow up into position and then if i need to make a little you know turn to the right just to acquire the peep sight do that and i don't know if you remember this or not but when i called you from my hunt and was having issues because i was shooting low and right you said hey you're probably bringing your face to the bow and creating pressure so don't do that bring the bow up to to its proper anchor and then you know look for your proper touch point don't don't put your neck out looking for the touch point and that's exactly what my issue was the second i stopped doing that I started hitting where I was wanting to hit again. Uh, and then the last thing on that is, you know, you're, mecha- you're absolutely right with the mechanics and you don't get faster by speeding things up. All that does is create issues. You get faster by becoming uh, more comfortable and more familiar and more smooth with the touch points that you have. So 
if I, if you were just like, Hey man, get your shot off in eight seconds with no coaching, my shots would be all over the place and it'd be terrible. But the same eight seconds when you're through instructing me on, all right, here's how your entire shot sequence is going to look and how it's going to feel. And then let's go through that a couple times. Okay. That went from 20 down to 14. Now we're going from 14 to 12. Now we're going from 12 to eight. I didn't physically speed up. I wasn't trying to go faster. My mechanics were better. My touch points were better and everything just felt smoother. So I was ready for that shot much sooner than I would be if I was just trying to rush through it. Yeah. I mean, there's kind of a, isn't there a saying slow is fast with you guys? Yeah, Smooth is fast. Yeah. Smooth is fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, th I feel like, I feel like that's so true. I know when there's times where, if I'm in a stress situation of like, yeah, there's been times where I'm in a tree stand and I'm just pulling all my stuff up and I turn and look and like, there's a deer coming already. And as yeah. much as I'm like, Oh crap, I got to freaking get my pack. I got to, you know, I have to put my pack somewhere, you know, I've got my horns in my hands and my freaking bows st still, it's like, okay. I just tell myself, you know, freaking slow is fast. So it's just like step one. Okay. Yep. Get, got to, you know, my backpacks are in my hand you know, slow and smooth on the screw, push hard, turn slow, you know, don't be spazzing out and you can't get the thing to screw yeah. in there, you know, got that on there. Okay. You know, freaking pull the bow up. Next step's going to be, you know, take the freaking bow rope off my bow, take the arrow out, load it. Like I'm thinking about all these things and I'm, I'm literally just going through it so methodical that I'm doing what I need to do way faster because I'm not freaking out and fumbling something or dropping something or you know so I, I think if people if people work on that sequencing and that cadence you know I, I refer to it as a cadence a lot and mm -hmm. especially when we went to my house and we started shooting distance you know I made it really clear to you of I do not want your shots to be any different right now you know yep. than they were when we were in the range and you know even like blank bail and we're when we were at 10 yards i want this to be the same like don't be hypercritical of you know because you're further everything has to be that much stiller and i tell people you know i shoot targets i'm not shooting the same size dot at 80 yards as i do at 20 you know dots and scoring rings get bigger proportionally because the distance is multiplying so you know, I'm not going to expect myself to shoot one inch dots at 80 yards. I really don't. In my opinion, you know, if, if I can shoot that eight inch square compared to a, you know, I like squares on 3d targets, but, um, if I can shoot something that's eight inches versus one inch, like I'm good with that. You know, the distance is multiplied yeah. out. So I'm not, you know, hypercritical to myself to where I feel like I'm slowing down my whole process to try to, to try to aim better. I just, I want it to be the same. And if it is the same, then it just, it seems like with archery, they just, the arrows go where they need to go when you're repeatable. But when you change cadence or you change time in the pocket, it, you just there's just so much more time for things to break down, you know. And yep. and it's and it's just a it's just a timeless theory of like time under stress, you know. Eventually you break down, and it's it's a very you know minor version of that. But when you're at full draw, one time much longer than the next time. You just give yourself that you you have twice as long to make mistakes, yeah. And, and I feel like you do. You know, I feel like I do anyway. Um, oh, absolutely. And I think that's where the the discipline of getting repetitions in comes into play because you know you were talking about the example of being in the deer stand and the deer comes you know earlier than you were expecting and not feeling rushed, but uh, there is a sense of urgency there because who knows how long that deer is going to hang out there if you have taken the time and you're disciplined enough to get in those repetitions at you know 10 yards 20 yards and to dial in your your shot sequence and how that feels that sense of stress is not going to be the same 
as if you haven't put in those repetitions and then you're put in that same situation because going through that, that training and going through how that feels and going through your shot sequence and really getting that down to where it's smooth and smooth as fast, it breeds a certain amount of confidence. And it's a, like an innate confidence that you don't even have to think about because it's there that, okay, stressful situation comes up. I know that I've done this a thousand times, 2000 times, 5,000 times, maybe not with that deer there, but my shot sequence is going to be the, should be the same with or without a target, a live target at the other end. So if you haven't got those repetitions in and you're put in a situation like that, good luck, man, because it's probably not going to turn out the way that you want it to turn out. But if you're disciplined enough to, to hone in those fundamentals and really practice then I, I think that application will carry over a lot better to uh, you know real world hunting scenarios where you can't predict exactly what's going to happen. For sure. Well, one last question or topic I want to talk to you about, and I know this is probably going to seem somewhat repetitive, but it's honestly such a key factor in why you know why I'm so passionate about dedicating time to to guys like yourself. Um, is because guys and gals, um, it's because I've seen firsthand, like what archery does to people that get, are getting out of the military or out of the military. And I just, I like see this fire that it rekindles and it, and it, and it lights what, like now that you're, you're out how do you feel like archery is, is going to help you? Or, I mean, or like from a hunting aspect, like how important is that to you? Or, you know, what does that mean? I think it's been hugely beneficial because I think most people that are in the service and let's just expand that a little bit and just say, you know, first line responders, police, firefighters, anyone who's used to dealing with, situations where there is a high level of stress um you can kind of get wired into that feeling of even if it's not uh you're not innately feeling it all the time that feeling of just constantly being alert and you know a bunch of and i'm I'm speaking solely from let's say the team's perspective because that's the only place where i have experience inside the the special operations realm or the military in general is a lot of guys just have a problem turning the mind off and, you know, constantly going and thinking not about necessarily bad things, but it's just going, going, going. And with archery, you can't really, you have to turn your mind off to a certain extent, right? Like you're, there's so much focus and and mindfulness slash mindlessness that comes with it, that it's uh, a very, I hate to say the word peaceful, because you're launching a projectile in hunting at another, uh, at a, you know, living animal, but it's a very nice state of, of nothing else matters at that moment, right? Only the bow matters, only your target matters. And it's easy to lose yourself in that experience, uh, which I think is tremendously helpful for people uh, kind of with our, our background. I think also it's just a challenge. And it's a challenge, and I think that people, and yourself as well, like like-minded people, we like new challenges. And even more so than with a, a pistol or a rifle, man, that bow, there's so many things that can go askew that's going to affect that shot. So the challenge of really mastering it, and I don't think I'll ever master it. I'm not sure if anybody ever really masters it. It's probably a daily struggle. But I think that struggle is part of the journey of archery, which is, a great thing is constantly applying yourself to a new skill and trying to, you know, perfect that skill and pursue perfection in that skill. Uh, and then the last piece is just hunting in general, getting outdoors is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves, especially in this day and age where you're just constantly flooded with information and technology, just the piece of being outdoors and being in the woods and being in nature, Uh, I think for everyone is tremendously beneficial, but then you take that to the next level of hunting for people with, you know, my shared background and military people is it almost feels like you're in a way back overseas. You know, you're applying skills that you learned in your previous profession 
to the hunt, right? Like, you know, the stock, the, the planning, the, the hunt experience itself is the, is the closest thing that I felt to going on a real world operation as far as like the, the fun, the joy, the, the, the sense of excitement that comes with it. Yeah. How therapeutic is it just to have something to like to train for specifically and, and just the, just the routine of you, you know, knowing, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up my weapon, do drills for this amount of time. And, you know, and I'll be able to, you know, see what today holds, whether it's progress or regress. I mean, and then obviously for just the hunt, there's, there's, in a way there's like a workup, right? I mean, if if you're going to go on a hunt, it's a workup, which I think is what so many of you guys miss is like that, that time of the preparation and, you know, what you're doing to actually get ready for that, for that time. Cause I know for like, for Jocko, you know, and, and it's been the same with, with Andy and Evan and Trevor and, you know, and a lot of these guys, but yeah, like with Jocko, once, once we did that first elk hunt, like I know he thought this is going to be cool and, you know, but once he got out there and we were hunkered down in the freaking shade, you know, we had a yep. spot and scope up, you know, we packed different layers and we, you know, we're sitting there with, you know, with puffy layers, like just hunkered down and just, you know, glassing, you know, everything you can see and just burning the mountain with the spotting scope. And, you know, we're, we're in the shade and we're tucked in and, you know, we're buried down and, you know, we're using undulation to like navigate, you know, so stuff isn't skylining us. Like as soon as he realized that was happening, he was just like, bro, if this, like what we're doing right now, he's like, like, this is total, like, this is just, total like ops right here he's like we'd have we'd have you know secondary team would be like somewhere right over there and and he just like immediately flipped a switch and then once the next year rolled around it was he had way more training he was totally dead he was sending me like you know daily videos like pretty much like showing me the work up right showing me what he got in what he was doing and then, you know, for TAC, it was like, you know, I'm going to be there. We're going to be at TAC twice as long. Let's shoot the course twice as much as we did last year. And it was like every single time we had an opportunity to train, we were freaking launching arrows, you know. And, and for him, that aspect and then, you know, he's like, I'm going to drive. I want to drive to the hunt this year. I want to have, you know, all my own stuff. You know, I want to have my own yep. gear at the ready everything was like locked and loaded accounted for in its place and for him oh, i was yeah. like okay like this part of it is just as cool as him filling the tag you know because this th- oh, like when you guys would run a mission i'm assuming the mission was just a drop in the bucket on the timeline compared to what actually went into that execution 100%. I mean, the backside planning that goes into the couple of hours that you might be out there, I mean, you could be talking days or weeks, depending upon what the operation is. And that's just as absor- uh, absorbing and engaging and, uh, you know, intellectually stimulating as the, well, maybe not as, but it's pretty close to the actual operation itself. And it's all that planning that goes into the operation that allows it to go as smoothly as possible, right? The enemy always gets a boat. But if your backside planning is not what it should be, again, the results are probably not going to be what you want them to be. And it's life or death out there. It's a very similar thing to the hunt. If your planning that you put into and your effort that you put into that hunt is not what it should be, you know, good luck on the hunt itself because those animals have senses and all those senses have been evolved to keep them alive from people like you and me that want to put them on a dinner plate, right? <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the effort that you need to put into those hunts, it's not like, Hey, you just show up on game day and then uh, wing it in the words of MacGruber, right. And just see what happens. Like there's significant effort that needs to be put into it. And I think for people who have a shared experience of uh, the military background, it, it kind of feels familiar 
because you're used to that cycle. You're used to the train plan and then go do it cycle. Yeah. And I think if you, um, I think when people try to wing it or honestly, when people try to, to hack the system of, Oh, I have an elk hunt. I need to get, you know, three weeks out. I better start getting ready. Holy, you know, I just, you know, I need to get ready. And the reality is you might make it through day one, but day two, you're sore. Day three, you miss the morning hunt or you're the first one back, you know, or, you know, you just, you heard another bugle, but you know, you'll come after them in the morning. You're just not going to push, you know, kind of getting low on light, probably can't make it there in time. Like all these little things that honestly, they are all there because you aren't over prepared for the situation. And it, it's really the difference of people that fill tags and people that, you know, I think, I think just, it, it's missed opportunity. You know, I don't want to say it's like a waste of yep. money or a waste of time because there's people, there's people that go out and that's how they are. And they, they don't, they're not that successful when it comes to actually making a good shot or having a shot or like hustling hard enough to, to be in an opportunity, but they still love it because it's hard, you know, it's hard and that's yeah. what they love about it. Once it's there, um, but the people that consistently, um, even though it's hard, the people that are consistent with success, they're honestly the common denominator is people that are willing to apply effort continually throughout the year. You know, it's just like 100%. right now you're, you know, you came and got lessons and, and, um, well, a big part of that was, um, your wife actually reached out and, you know, got, you know, wanted to do like a knock on custom for your Christmas gift. And so, uh, you know, I just said, well, what, what if we get SG out here for lessons and everything? And so we kind of, we did a cool video on Christmas day. You were all pumped and, and, uh, it was, it was really fun, but you're, you're freaking awesome dude too. Yeah. You're an awesome dude too. You and I, um, I think you and I have so many dry senses, dry, our dry sense of humor and heckling, I think are very, yeah. very similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, heckling is definitely uh, like a pastime. It's a fun pastime. And then the, the, the thing I would say on what you were just talking about is that sense of that mindset of the hack, right? Like, what can I do to, you know, hack this or hack that or shave time off this or not really put in the effort it's such a pathetic mindset and i think what it really does is it just robs that person of the joy and fulfillment that comes with the things that they're purposely trying to avoid right the hard work so spending hours out on the range or in the backyard with a bow that's fun there's joy in that there's that's not i don't view that as hard work i view that as basically my time to go out there decompress and practice a skill that planning for the hunt that's a great time. Get your, you know, you get your buddies involved with it. If you're going on a hunt with your buddies and you know, you're, you're pouring over maps and imagery and, and all these things and talking about, you know, who's bringing what and this and that, all that stuff is, is enjoyable experiences. And then the hunt itself, putting in the effort, the long days, the long nights, you know, being a good hunting buddy as well and supporting your, your teammates that are out there, all that stuff is incredibly fulfilling. And it's, it's really sad people that look for shortcuts in that arena, because I think the only thing they're shortcutting is themselves and the experience and the shared experience. If you're doing it with, with your, your pals, that, that is an innate part of hunting. And I think one of the things that makes hunting such a, uh, uh, an engaging thing for guys like us. Yeah. I think, um, I think when you try to shortcut the process, you also shortcut the enjoyment because, yep. you know, like I said, if, if I didn't suck that bad at that first 3d shoot I ever went to, I prob I don't know if I would have went back. Like if someone said like, 
Hey, ever shot 3Ds? Yeah, I went one time, aced it, so I'm moving on. But a big part of me doing everything I've done in archery is because of I still remember how bad I was at it then and yeah. it and it just it killed me inside, you know, and and when people when people get to the point where they realize like if something's hard, you know, one of the few things that continually brings me joy as a person and I know a lot of people that have overwhelming abundance of of money and things and possessions but the people that have found joy in accomplishing goals it is a continual reward in life like goal accomplishment just always makes you feel good and you don't you're not going to accomplish goals if something isn't a struggle like a goal is set because yep. you have to be better at something that you're not as good at as you want to be. So you set a goal to be better. And, you know, and a goal is a million times rewarding than a participation trophy or something that you feel oh like, goodness. like, you know, like you deserve to have because you've been there. It's, you know, setting goals and, and accomplishing goals that are, you know, achievements and tasks are just, it's what keeps me going every single day. You know, it really is. Yeah. And I, the second that you stop having some type of goal to achieve your personal goal, I think you're, you're starting to diminish, which is not an appealing thing to think about. And there's a, I say it's a saying in the teams, it's probably a saying in a lot more places than the teams, but in the teams, you know, it's constantly beat into you. The second that you think that you've arrived, the second that you think that you don't need to, you know, try to be better at your chosen profession or, you know, Hey, I've done it. You know, I just completed my fifth deployment and fifth workup. Like I'm there, man, I don't have to put in maximal effort anymore is the second that you need to get the heck out of the community because it's a terrible mindset. And with, you know, real world repercussions that could be fatal, uh, not only to you, but to those around you. So you got to always have something that you're striving for, in my opinion, or else that sense of fulfillment's not going to be there. Um, and yeah, you said it best, man, like all the money in the world ain't going to buy you the, the experience of totally applying yourself towards a goal and then going and achieving that goal and specifically with the hunt, usually when it's with your, your buddies as well, it just enriches that experience that much more to be able to share that experience with other people who are, who have the exact same goal and who are genuinely happy for you when you achieve that goal and vice versa, when you're genuinely happy for them, when they achieve their goal. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, cool, dude, let's wrap this sucker up. I know you got to get to work right and on. I got to get to work, but SG you're yeah. awesome. Uh, can't say enough about you. Thanks for your service, dude. Thanks for all you do. And oh, thanks an for honor, being, man. thanks for being my friend. Oh dude, you're warming my heart here. And honestly, John, <laughs> th thanks so much for, uh, for everything you do, man, because you, you've really bridged the gap, I think, between what used to be a skill that's probably only something that you really learned if it was handed down to you and all the energy that you've poured into making archery as available as it as you possibly can to anyone that wants to pick it up. And then the way that, you know, you and Sharon open your home up to me and to, to a lot of others aside from me, is just, I can't think of anyone who's doing that same thing, man. And, you know, Appreciate everything you do and appreciate the effort that you put into it and just know that it's not going unnoticed and it really is making an impact. Well, you warm my heart, man. <laughs> there you go. Dude. All right. Knock on, everybody. <laughs> Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.